0: Hello and welcome. This is episode 30 of the Traveling Image Makers podcast and I'm your host, Hugo My guest today is Erin Babnik, a full-time landscape photographer, writer, and educator based out of California and Slovenia. She teaches photography workshops worldwide and shares her ideas about photography through articles for popular photography publications and through public speaking engagements. I've been following Erin's work for a long time and I've always been fascinated by her images. So I wanted to interview her and ask her about the differences between uh, uh, the world of landscape photography in the US compared to Europe and about her experience uh, mountaineering and getting gorgeous shots of the Alps and of the CRS of California. It was a great pleasure for me to finally be able to interview Erin, talk to her uh, personally, and uh, it was really an uh, inspiring, interesting, and informative conversation we had. I hope you will all appreciate it. Remember, you can find all the links and show notes for this episode at tim.photos/thirty. Thank you very much, and now let's listen to my interview with Erin Babnik. So my guest today, Erin Babnik... Landscape photographer extraordinaire, who have uh, have I've been following for a for a long time, and uh, always been a, a source of inspiration for me. So it's a great pleasure for me to have you here uh, airing today. Uh, how are you doing?
1: Well, thank you very much, Hugo. I'm doing great, and it's a pleasure to be here. Um, pleasure
0: is mine. So I think you are quite close to where I am at the moment. Can you tell us? Uh, Where are you staying, if you can uh, not give up too many details?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's mostly top secret. (laughs) Yeah, just keep
0: the stalkers away.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm not far from you at all right now. I'm uh, based in Slovenia, just outside of Ljubljana when I'm not in Italy, which is actually where I'll be spending most of my summer, but right now for a very short time. Uh, Yeah, I'm here in Slovenia, charming little country that not many people have visited, but should.
0: Yeah, I thought you were still in Italy. So.
1: No, no, I was. Yeah, yeah, I was there a couple of days ago, and I'll be back in another couple of days. (laughs) So, uh, just to
0: uh, give you uh, give a little bit of uh, information about you, uh, where did your passion for landscape photography originate from? I know you did not start out. with a career in landscape photography originally, you were in a in a different field. Can you tell us a bit yeah. about your story, your background there?
1: Sure, yeah. I was an art historian specializing in ancient Greek art, so that kind of made me a de facto archaeologist and required that I excavate, which I did for many years in Israel. Mm-hmm. And um, through the course of that experience, I had to produce photographs of what I was excavating and I also because at the time I was working on my dissertation I wanted to produce an archive of photographs for teaching and for my own research and um, so that meant going out to archaeological sites to museums throughout Europe and trying to produce competent images which of course becomes a very slippery slope when you actually enjoy the process. (laughs) I got more and more into it and um, eventually got kind of frustrated with the limitations that are um, existent in most most of these locations. Archaeological sites sometimes won't even allow a tripod in. They have restrictions on hours. And trying to get special permission was always a massive uh, hassle. I did get it sometimes, a lot actually. But it, it was very time consuming. And always having been... Um, very much into backpacking in nature it was just a natural progression for me to eventually move things into the wilderness where I, i'm really have a lot a lot i drive a lot more pleasure out of the experience
0: you mentioned slovenia before and uh, you you said you spend part of your time at least there um What are the differences? But you also are based in the U S at least part part of the area. And you are from the U S originally, if I'm not mistaken, right. How how would you, how would you characterize the differences between those two countries in, uh, in terms of photography, what are the the main opportunities and differences you can find in, uh, in each country?
1: Well, obviously the United States is much, much larger. Slovenia is a tiny country, only about the size of New Jersey. Um, Yet it packs in a, a real variety of options for photographers. Um, it has, uh, you know, everything from seaside to wine country to mountains, um, karst region, all all in this tiny little area. So one of the nice things about being here is that you can move between different biomes very quickly. You can shoot a sunrise in the mountains and a sunset at the seaside all on the same day. And there are not too many places in the U.S. where you can do something like that. Um, but the U.S. just has that. A massive amount of variety going for it, which makes me um, want to spend a lot of time there too.
0: So there's, uh, there is sea in Slovenia. I think it's just a little slice of uh, of it yeah, facing the like Adriatic the little, coast.
1: A <laughs> little mini variety pack. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's good. You can have it all. Um, <laughs> well, what advice would you give to, to somebody wanting to travel to Slovenia? What are the, the, the better locations for photography if you can? Uh, maybe. Sure. Yeah. Plus, uh, some of it. Some.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. Ironically, I actually don't do a whole lot of photography in Slovenia myself anymore, but that's only because I did it for so long. Um, and I would say that people who are really interested in cultural photography, travel photography will find an, an absolute abundance of uh, wonderful locations here, uh, very well-sighted churches and castles that can be isolated against beautiful backgrounds, such as mountains or rolling hills. Um, that's what Slovenia has to offer in an absolute abundance, very charming scenes like that. Uh, there are also some great um, areas in the Julian Alps for people who are more interested in nature and wilderness locations. Um, they do require a lot more hiking in those areas are the sorts that are probably less um, easy to discover without putting in a whole lot of research or else hiring a guide or something, but they are there. So I would say that um, if someone wanted to spend more time photographing Slovenia, a great thing for them to do would be uh, to go to the slovenia.info website and look through the incredible amount of information there on all of these sorts of options um, they have lots of pictures, maps, um, accommodation information, all of that. It's a really well put together site. And back in the day when I first started looking for places to go here, um, I used that site and it has just grown since. So I find it very helpful. Okay,
0: great. Is there a thriving landscape uh, photography community in Slovenia like there is in the U.S.?
1: Well, I would say in in Europe as a whole, the landscape photography scene is fairly young, so I would say not really nearly as thriving as it is in the U.S. The the older traditions here are those of probably street photography, portraiture. Um, that's where, you know, Europe really has its roots as far as photography goes, but there are some absolutely incredibly talented landscape photographers emerging now in Europe. And some of them are are right here in Slovenia. So it's exciting to see that development, which really has just taken off, probably in like the last five years that, that I've noticed. And I've been here now back and forth between Slovenia and California for, I think, 11 years now. Mm-hmm. But it's really been about the last half of that time that I've seen this really take off.
0: So it's still possible to find some unspoiled locations that haven't been photographed to death.
1: Oh yes! Oh, absolutely! I mean, in all of Europe, that is true. Because yeah, yeah because the tradition is still fairly young here.
0: Mm-hmm. But you are um, about to cross the border again and come back to Italy and to specifically to the Dolomites region uh, yes. to lead a couple of workshops there. Um, why this particular region? What what does it have to offer to photographers?
1: Um, yeah, I'm actually leading three workshops there uh, this this summer, uh, ranging in length from six to ten days. That that region, the Dolomites, has been my pet project for about six years now. I first started exploring it back before there were even many photos that I could find online, before the days of 500px or most uh, sharing sites, really. And I had just seen a couple of photos um, that gave me a sense that there were op- opportunities for getting up out of the valleys and into the higher elevations um, where I could get at get pretty close to a huge variety of really interesting craggy peaks. I didn't know this for a fact because I couldn't really find photos to back up <laughs> my theory. So I bought a whole bunch of topographical maps and... Um, really studied what might be possible there and then made many, many, many trips over many years, sometimes five or six trips uh, per year, um, exploring. And uh, it turns out it is an incredibly photogenic region. It's not just an area of of, uh, cultural value, which it is down in the uh, valleys, but if you get up into the heights of the mountains What's so great about it is you have these very prominent photogenic peaks everywhere and you can you can walk all the way around them, get really close to them. So you have peaks that are, I think, as interesting as some of those uh, perhaps um, that are most famous in Patagonia, for example, and yet you don't have to go to the same vantage point all the time to shoot them. You literally can just walk all the way around them, you know, mm-hmm. so they're very accessible and they tend to have wonderful atmosphere more often than not. Uh, it's very, very photogenic for that reason. Lots of little summer storms coming through, and in the winter, the light is great, and it's very rare to have um, cloudless skies there. So you can pretty much count on the Dolomites to deliver, both in terms of um, natural beauty and also the conditions. Yeah, I think, so that's why I keep that, going back.
0: Yeah, sorry. What was that movie that they with uh, Stallone, with Cliffhanger? Oh,
1: movie? yes, Cliffhanger <laughs> was shot there. It was you shot yeah. there,
0: and then it was pretend to be in the Rocky Mountains.
1: Yeah, something. that's right. <laughs> yeah. And it's... Uh it's a
0: relatively compact area. I mean, you, you can get so much uh, variety and those uh, great peaks uh, yeah, in, in, a, in a relatively compact area. I mean, that's, a, that's a great advantage, I think.
1: Yeah, you can really move around.
0: Yeah. Uh, what are your specific challenges that uh, you have to face when photographing in the high mountains, whether it's the Dolomites or the High Sierra of California? Especially yeah. in winter, I think there are some specific challenges that you have to overcome
1: Yes, I do a lot of winter photography. Um, the, my number one fear in life is is um, succumbing to an avalanche. Mm. <laughs> and uh, so that's something that is really um, a priority for me whenever I'm out in the mountains in winter, is being very aware of avalanche conditions and, and the specific um, routes that I'm taking that might put me in harm's way. Also, terrain traps are are a challenge in winter, too, especially um, this time of year and a little bit earlier when the the snow becomes very unstable at higher elevations. You can um, get into areas where the rocks are absorbing warmth from the sun and creating big holes underneath the snow that you can't see. And it's possible if you come walking along that you can drop down into one of them, which I did about five years ago mm-hmm. and broke my ankle. Learned that one the hard way. Mm-hmm. So I would say that, you know, it's basically an issue of being able to um, have really good backcountry travel knowledge. And also it helps to have wilderness medical knowledge, which I do. I'm certified as a wilderness first responder um, because I now take groups up into the mountains. Uh, uh, so, you know. yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, and, and also just, you know, conditions, weather, lightning is, is a particular challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you just need to be mindful of those sorts of things. And other, otherwise it's all good.
0: Yeah, these days we are having a bit of unstable weather here in northern Italy, with lots of thunderstorms, so I guess you have to be extra careful up in the Mm -hmm. mountains. Sorry to interrupt the regular programming, but I've got an announcement to make. My photography tours company, Mediterranean Photo Tours, just announced that we are partnering with a travel and portrait photographer Robin Young, who was a guest on a previous edition of this uh, podcast, to co-lead a uh, photography workshop in Venice for the Carnival. From February 15 to 20, 2017, We will be leading a select group of people to Venice to photograph some of the best uh, masked models uh, that the Carnival has to offer in uh, some very exclusive settings. If you want to know more about this event, head over to bit.ly slash magicvenice that's bit.ly slash magicvenice where you will find all the information about uh, the, the workshop. Here's hoping I can personally welcome you to Venice next year and now let's go back to our regular programming some of your best photos are taken uh, of course during the golden hour which is right yeah. around sunrise or sunset i was looking mm-hmm. in particular a few minutes uh, earlier at one of your photos i think it's called uh, backdraft that was uh, yes. shot in the near the cinque Torre, which is a beautiful a small group of rocks or mountains near yeah. you know, the Cortina region and that's either at sunrise or sunset i cannot that's really, a sunrise that's a yeah. sunrise yeah i was i was wondering uh, getting to to places where you get the the right shot the right composition at those hours means either hiking to a location before sunrise or hiking after from a location after sunset isn't that um Something that is possible to do, or these locations are actually easier to reach than than it would look like from from the photo alone.
1: Uh, well, it really depends. That particular location, um, because the the hut closest to that massif um, was closed when I was there. Uh, required that I had to hike down from a... There was actually an open hut, the Avarau hut, which is up higher. Um, And it's it's still not something that most people would do. I would never be able to take a workshop to do that, for example. It's about... I think a couple of hundred to maybe even 300 meters. I don't know. A couple hundred meters at least of elevation gain on a very steep slope on snowshoes with a headlamp. And a lot of people just don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's quite doable, um, you know, but it is, it is um, pretty strenuous. Um, but there are other places where um, it, it's even worse, you know, that's not so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, uh at least in my opinion um there are a lot of places where getting to the locations particularly in the Alps where you're not allowed it's forbidden to open camp you can't uh use tents so you have to either do a very long headlamp hike um or else hope that there's a hut reasonably close by but you're not legally supposed to pitch a tent right where you want it to be so yeah that is one of the things in the Alps that
0: Yeah so so that that's definitely a concern i mean It I is and that's I, why recommend that people just go up there wait for sunset Take some shots and then realize they need to hike down in the darkness without a headlamp yeah, or a proper gear. Yeah.
1: yeah, you definitely need to be careful about yeah. that. And that's why I plan- the way I plan my Dolomites workshops is um, very complicated. And actually, it was one of the more difficult parts of putting together the packages that I have is finding ways that I can make these areas work for people who... Mm-hmm. Don't want to do anything too crazy. <laughs> you know?
0: And you also, I guess, you have to be very flexible because the, the weather might change rapidly. So,
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah I it's... don't actually plan my itineraries until as late as I possibly can for that reason so that I can go into the region in advance, check out snow melt conditions, get a sense for what's going to be not only accessible but also photogenic.
0: As we you were know, the... as we were saying before we, we started the, the recording, uh, the, the glamorous life of the... Workshop leader <laughs> and organizer is, uh, is not so glamorous at times. It takes it's a lot of work so to, to prepare true. everything. <laughs> yeah. The, the people who come might not realize how much work goes into the, the, the preparation. They just get served a perfect experience. And wow.
1: Yep. I didn't realize it myself <laughs> until I started doing it.
0: Yeah. Uh, on a slightly different topic, uh, one of the things I... I know is that the Alps, unlike many other regions in the American continent, are uh, pretty packed with humans. I mean, Mm -hmm. human population density and human presence is much more pervasive than it is in in some areas of the, especially the Western US. Uh, Yeah. How can photographers avoid being negatively affected by this? Or conversely, how can the human element be used to enhance mountain photos?
1: Yeah, that's an important issue in the Alps, especially um, even at the higher elevations, human interventions are pretty much ubiquitous because of the First World War. So you have um, foxholes, you have bunkers, you have monuments, dotting the landscape, it is possible to work around them. Um, but sometimes, you know, you just want to work with them. Some of them are, are actually kind of uh, charming in a way or or spooky, or, and they can lend something to to a photograph. When I first started getting into landscape photography, I was actually really drawn to these, I had a thing for bunkers. And <laughs> I went actually seeking them out. After I was kind of over the the phase where I was shooting churches and castles, and I moved higher and higher, I got into these other kinds of elements. But uh, anymore, um, I do tend to avoid them. If I have a human element, I tend to prefer for it to actually be a human. And I don't usually even do that very often. Mm-hmm. But I like I like that these elements can lend a sense of scale if nothing else but also you know a sense of history so if that's of interest to a person there there's there are plenty of opportunities to incorporate them but basically as far as getting around them it's really just a matter of getting higher the lower you go obviously the, the down in the valleys um, the 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 human presence is very pervasive mm-hmm. it is everywhere but as you go higher and higher you can actually find some pretty vast wilderness areas um, that are more or less um, untouched still even in even in the Alps of europe
0: I was uh, actually reading yesterday in the news they they found um, a hut that was used during World War I by the Austrian army, I think, and they built this hut very very high up in the mountains it's uh, not actually in the Dolomites. it's a uh, adjoining region uh, it was at thirty eight 1000 meters uh 3800 meters of course
1: oh my goodness that's uh, this is one that they didn't know about before that's
0: about 10000 feet maybe uh no yeah. they, they actually knew that before but it's uh with the uh, with warming uh it's been um more and more uncovered uh, yeah. by snow mm-hmm. so you can actually go up as high as 3800 meters and still find signs of human presence yes yes. which can be can be a good thing i mean that that should be an interesting site and, and subject for photography but if one is after wilderness that might spoil it a bit
1: yeah I, guess. I mean you know in some cases it's just a matter of turning a different direction or walking around a, a little bit and finding a way to exclude the elements um and then there's always the option to clone them out. Yeah. <laughs> Some people do that too. Well,
0: I, I still think it's um, it's interesting, uh, at least for us Italians. We've been uh, not not me personally, of course, but our grand and grand grandfathers have been affected by the war, World War One, which was fought in those areas. And so, finding the the remains, sometimes you can even find. Pieces of helmets or ammunition yeah. strewn on the, sure on the fields, and it uh, gives you an idea of what uh, of the history of the place. It's uh, yeah, it's interesting. Oh, it's fascinating.
1: Know, yeah. yeah, it's fascinating.
0: But anyway, do you think photographers have a kind of a duty to protect, or so to speak, locations that are not well known and that are somewhat delicate, so that they aren't overrun by other photographers and the general public? thinking um, you know,
1: Yes, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I actually do. Um I, I but for a couple of reasons. I find I drive so much pleasure from exploring on my own and finding places that I feel as though if I just hand coordinates to someone, I'm robbing them of that experience. And it's not the same as when in a workshop I bring people myself to these places. I feel as though then they get to share something of what I went through in discovering the place because they're they're with me and I can explain it to them, show them how I got there and you know that i think is a more rich experience and it ena- enables them to get into the right frame of mind with it um in a way that you don't if you just give people coordinates say go here um and also there is that issue of exposing fragile locations to um too much um too much uh, visitation mm-hmm. and those sorts of places i wouldn't even bring a workshop let alone give people coordinates or anything like that mm-hmm. so yeah i do feel strongly about that
0: yeah. Speaking of uh, something completely different, that would be gear, equipment. What do you have in your bag and uh, how do you balance the need to carry uh, exactly what is needed with the uh, necessity to climb to higher places and so on? What's, the, what's your packing um, your yeah. so to say?
1: It's worse in winter when I need to carry crampons and an ice axe. I have the lightest ones possible. For that reason, because as a female, I have a small frame and carrying a lot of weight is that much more percentage of my, my body weight. So I have to be really mindful of how much I put on my back. Um, but fortunately, in the Alps, at any rate, um, I can typically stay, well, I have to stay in either a hut or if I'm down in the valleys, you know, in a hotel or something. So I'm not carrying as much as I do when I'm in the mountains of the United States, where I have a big trucking backpack and i've got everything with me including you know the tent and the sleeping bag and all of right. that um so I, I try to keep it um keep it as simple as possible i don't bring a whole lot of clothing and toiletries i just bring my essentials i only bring two lenses um and i do have a full-size tripod but it's a good one uh, that's only five pounds uh, t- total including the ball head so I found ways to keep the weight manageable and the bulk down so that I can do what I need to do. And, I, and also it just helps that I am actually pretty fit and so I can, I can carry a lot and I, I feel very comfortable with what I, what I have on my back.
0: You, you mentioned two lenses. What are your favorite, your go-to lenses for for your landscape photography?
1: I use a 16 to 35 millimeter f 2.8 lens and a 70 to 200 f 4, and mm-hmm. then I have that gap in the middle there that I just deal with. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it's a problem, but usually it's not. Yeah. Um, if I have to um, stitch together something, um, you know, panorama style to get a, a, a different focal length, so be it. Or if I have to crop, you know, yeah, you can I do what I have to do. <laughs>
0: Sometimes, not always. I mean, in the mountains, it might not yeah. be possible to just zoom with your feet. You have a yes. ravine in front of you or a or a river, so you might have to, to crop or stitch. It yeah. works. I mean, nowadays we have so many opportunities that our predecessors, they, they couldn't have. And, uh, yep. Let's use technology for what it's good at. Yeah. In, in terms of bodies, what do you carry?
1: Uh, I'm still with one that I've had for, I guess, four years or more now. It's the Canon 5D Mark III. Mm-hmm. I, although I usually just carry those two lenses with me, I have a huge uh, suite of them <laughs> that I switch out sometimes. I've made massive investment in Canon lenses, so I've stayed with them for a long time. Um, lately, I've been considering other options um, and opportunities, and we'll see what comes out of those, if if anything, whether or not I stick with Canon
0: might get one of uh, what's the new body with 50 megapixels that will allow you to, to crop even more.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've considered it. Um, you know, there are other things um, that it probably interest me more than that, namely the, the image quality, mm-hmm. being the dynamic range, um, which would be nice um, to have more of. <laughs> so I'm waiting to see what the ne- next uh, version of the camera that I have, the, the Mark IV, might bring. You,
0: you haven't considered larger medium format or uh, especially film I mean I have this many people have this image in, there,
1: mm-hmm. in the mind yeah, of
0: a romantic Ansel I... Adams like type of photographer which carries along <laughs> a view camera on top of the Yosemite peaks <laughs> so
1: <laughs> well I have used medium format film uh, it's been a very long time but um uh, given my my sort of you know habits of being up in the mountains uh a much larger bulkier camera it doesn't have a whole lot of appeal to me but the image quality sure does and i think if uh if one of those were to drop in my lap i'd probably probably take it up there right. well, and not? play with it but yeah yeah
0: of course prices are not that uh, still not not that, not as approachable not as, no as a, DSLR <laughs> or a mirrorless system yeah um you do not classify yourself as a as a travel photographer, but just as a more as a landscape a wilderness photographer, but you have traveled quite a bit, I think you've been to some foreign countries and so on. If you were to to go back to one of those tomorrow, which one would you pick and why?
1: um yeah, I've been to a lot of countries, and the one that really comes to mind the most um for a revisit. It might be Petra of all places. Even though I no longer focus on archaeological photography, the one time I was there, um, I only had a point and shoot camera with me, and I was really very impressed with um, with with Jordan, with especially with Petra. And I did a lot of hiking there, got around to some of the fur- farther reaches of the area, and I I think I would really enjoy revisiting that, kind of going back to my roots and doing a little bit of that type of photography someday
0: yeah. again. Petra is really amazing. I've been there. there once yeah. myself. Have you been to, to Wadiram? No, close I yet, haven't. Then, then you should definitely go. It would fit right into your, uh, your kind of photography. It's, uh, it's a fantastic area and very yeah, unique landscape. If you've seen, yeah. it, you know, if you know what I mean. And instead of conversely, um, countries that you have not been to that you would like to visit soon? Uh,
1: yeah, I would say at the top of my list would be Pakistan. Um, I very For a very long time now, I've wanted to go photograph uh, the peaks of northern Pakistan and may be able to do that next summer. I actually was trying to plan something this summer. I was invited to be uh, a foreign delegate to the Mountain Film Festival in Lahore, uh, which Uh, subsequently got postponed um, but that got me talking with someone in the country there who knows the mountain region well and we started to put together an idea for a trip uh didn't pan out this summer but i'm i'm hoping to get there next summer if all goes well
0: Mm -hmm. is it hot in summer
1: uh well not in the mountains, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> not where
0: I would <laughs> no, be silly silly question thinking of a region <laughs> like Pakistan in summer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but in the mountains, it's uh the, the pretty high mountains. They are
1: up the, there, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um but more of a short term plans what are you going next we mentioned the dolomites you're going to spend a a few weeks there and then what's up for you then
1: i have a busy year um i will yeah i'll be mostly in italy this summer i'll be back in france again near the end of the summer then i have a whole series of um engagements i'm i'm a keynote speaker at a convention in oregon and then i'm being flown out to England to speak at a conference there. And I may um, then make a little jaunt over to Scotland. Um, I have an event in um, the Southwest um, in late autumn. And I know I'm leaving some things out. <laughs> just, uh, uh, oh, yeah, I'll be in New York um, in October. I'm just I'm all over the place. It's, uh, th- this year is, is extremely busy for me.
0: So so for people who want to follow your uh, trips and and other shenanigans, where can they find more about you? How can they keep in touch and see what Uh, you're doing?
1: Yeah, definitely my my own website, AaronBobnick.com. That's where I really have pretty much everything about me, including links to my social media channels of those, I'm most active on Facebook. I do post to others, but infrequently and not most of my portfolio, just bits and pieces here and there. But I'm pretty pretty active on Facebook. So between my website and that, um, people should be able to stay in touch with me.
0: And you're leading worships in the Dolomites and in California again, is that right?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, I've got... Um, uh, these three in the Dolomites. I have uh, two coming up in the Eastern Sierra. I have one planned in the Redwoods, and um, some others that I haven't announced yet. But those will include the the uh, French Alps and mm-hmm. also uh, Washington State.
0: And I would suggest that people who might be interested in uh, in coming to one of your tours, they they should book early. I was looking at your calendar. It looks like. Uh, the yeah, those ones are pretty much sold out. So <laughs>
1: yeah, people should. have to
0: think for next year. Yes, uh, I'm sure it would be great, and maybe we'll our paths will cross on the mountains around. I here. hope so. I hope so. So it was great to to have you here. Anything else you would like to say or mention before we wrap it up?
1: Oh, I would just like to thank you for having me. It was a real it's, pleasure. Uh, it's uh, the
0: pleasure was mine. It's uh, it was a great conversation. So. All the best for your next uh, adventures.
1: Okay, thanks so much, Hugo. Take care, bye. Bye.